This episode of the 10.5 podcast features a conversation on suicide awareness, which may be triggering for some listeners. Details on the topics covered and timestamps for each topic can be found in the show notes for this episode. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to 10.5, the official podcast of the OPP Association. I am Scott Mills. And I'm Josh Jutras. We are the Strategic Communications Coordinators for the OPP Association and your host for the 10.5 podcast, the official podcast of the OPP Association. The OPP Association is the sole bargaining agent for the close to 10,000 members of the Ontario Provincial Police in Canada. Our members are our focus and our strength. We aim to provide important information to our membership in this podcast, as well as the public about matters that affect policing in the province of Ontario. And on this episode, we're pleased to be joined by Dr. Allison Crawford from the Centre for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. And we're adding a co-host for this episode, CEO of Dalton Associates, Carl Dalton joins us. Dalton Associates powers the OPPA's Encompass Mental Health Wellness Program, and I'd like to welcome you both to the Time 5 Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's really uh, great to be here. Yeah, thanks a lot, uh, Josh and Scott, for uh, welcoming me back. I, uh, you didn't know when you had me on the first time that I was going to try to take over here, but... Uh... <laughs> well, I, I, was, I was wondering if I should have Workopolis open on the other monitor here, if, I, if I'm going to need another job after this. So. <laughs> I, think, I think it's safe to say that you're, uh, you're much more professional at this than I am, uh, but I do uh, like the medium that, uh, that, that the OPPA has started here, and, and you guys are wonderful hosts, and uh, really it... Uh, you know, I hope it's a compliment to you guys that I wanted to come back and uh, because I think it's a, a great, you know, access point for, for members to hear about the work um, and the issues that are important to them or, you know, hopefully should be important to them. Well, th- thanks very much, Carl. We really appreciate the kind words. It was, uh, it was a pleasure to have you on the first time and I understand we're going to be doing a series here. So, um we are happy about that, and we're going to turn the show over to you now. Uh, you're the host uh, for the introduction of uh, our special guest today. Take it away. Thanks. So uh, I, I want to just introduce uh, Dr. Allison Crawford, uh, and uh, she did let me know before the podcast that I could call her Allison beforehand, which I think is, uh, you know, is, is what I'll stick with here. Uh, but certainly, <laughs> Thanks, she, <laughs> you certainly deserve the title Dr. Crawford for sure. So, um, but uh, Allison is a psychiatrist and associate professor at the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Toronto, where she is uh, the associate chief of virtual mental health and outreach at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. You know, we know that as CAMH. Uh, and uh, I know Allison actually from her work as the Chief Medical Officer of the Canadian Suicide Prevention Service, and um, I uh, do uh, uh, sit on a, a board um, as a part of another project that we work on called uh, Nan Hope. So uh, Allison's main focus is on improving, uh, you know, public mental health, and I want her to come today because I think it's important that we bring access to experts. Uh, like Allison, and I think we, the more, uh, it's a knowledge mobilization place is what I think this podcast can be, and uh, Encompass is really, is, uh, is owned and, and operated, it's for the members, uh, by the members, and so I think 
bringing Allison's expertise here to talk about, you know, a really challenging subject matter, but a really important one is uh, something that I, I feel passionate about and wanted to do today. So thanks a lot, Allison, for agreeing to this. And um, maybe, you know, you, since you have so many titles and are active on so many initiatives, you could just tell us a little bit more about the work that you're doing and, and specifically to create suicide prevention awareness strategies and programs. Sure. Thanks, Carl. Uh, well, after seeing how much fun you guys have with this podcast, I might change my job if you need a fourth co-host. But, uh, uh, but actually, that, that's not true because I feel very passionate about uh, the work that I'm involved in in re really raising more awareness around public mental health. You know, during this pandemic in, in particular, you know, we, we've... Uh, refocused our attention on public health, um, but mental health is such an important uh, part of that, and, and especially suicide prevention. So I've been in, involved for a number of years in that uh, area. Most recently, um, the Canada Suicide Prevention Service, which you mentioned, that is uh, funded by the Public Health Agency of Canada, and it's really work that I'm doing with CAMH um, and uh, partners, the Canadian Mental Health Association and Crisis Services Canada, to scale a national crisis line. Um, and that, you know, that's one piece of the continuum of, of suicide prevention, but that, that really will help um, ensure that people get the immediate um, access to help that they need if they are struggling with um, suicidal thoughts or, or behavior. So getting that going has been a big project. We're very much hoping uh, that the CRTC um, branch of the government will support a three-digit number um, that will, will help that access. Um, but I'm also interested in, and I know, you know, in this podcast, you, you, uh, it's part of the OPP and you work with a lot of public safety personnel. I'm, I am very interested in kind of groups in our communities that may be less likely to come forward um, to seek help if they're experiencing thoughts of suicide. And uh, my, my first work in suicide prevention <clears throat> was through my work in Nunavut. And that's where I really learned the importance of community-based approaches to suicide prevention and, and understanding what unique people, what unique communities need. And I think that apl applies to a lot of uh, different groups, including uh, public safety personnel. Thanks, Allison. And I think it's a... You know, it's a wonderful initiative. It's much needed. Certainly, uh, we, uh, you know, who are, uh, who are, you know, Dalton Associates delivers uh, and powers Encompass, but also other projects around suicide intervention and immediate suicide intervention. And to have a national strategy and a national place to turn to that's going to develop with a lot of local input is, uh, I think, is a wonderful initiative. So uh, I'm, I'm glad that uh, you're, you're leading us down that road. To put in the context for for public safety personnel for for the uh, you know OPP members and their families uh, that are listening today, is that the Encompass program is is the Ontario Provincial Police Association's mental health and wellness program, and it's a direct. It was built in a sort of direct response to the increase in uh, suicides amongst police officers, and um, the close knit community of police officers and their families. Uh, you can imagine that a suicide uh, uh, sends ripples through the whole community and has, uh, you know, quite a long-standing impact after after each one. Just recently, the OPP uh, unveiled a memorial for those officers who died by suicide. And in, 
in gratitude for those officers coined the term die because of duty. And the OPP Healthy Workplace Team, which is led by Dr. Vivian Lee, is very committed to fully supporting the employees and creating a safe and healthy work environment. So this is, uh, you know, suicide is a, is a topic that I wanted to bring to the forefront because we haven't really talked about it yet. Encompass has been around for a year and a half, and it is a direct response uh, to the increase in suicides. And so uh, I wanted to start a conversation that uh, I think has probably already started in small group circles, but really bring it to the forefront today. So I guess, you know, I'll turn it over to you again, Allison, is, you know, how do we do that? How, how does anyone start a conversation about suicide? Yeah, it's a, I mean, I think what you're doing um, with Encompass and, and this podcast today is, is a, a great example. I think the more we talk about it, the more it becomes a public conversation, uh, the, the better. Because that, I think that conversation starts on multiple levels. So in our communities, in government, um, government certainly paying a lot more attention to these needs um, in organizations and the workplace. But then also what I'd like to talk about is on that human to human level um, in our families and friendships and peer relationships. And I, I think there are some simple tips about how to start that conversation and, and open a, a channel uh, to connection on that one on one, one to one level. And the first thing is, you know, we, we should notice each other, notice any changes. Um, you know, so if you do see changes in your, your friend or family member, your colleague, um, such as withdrawal or changing mood, depressed mood, irritable mood, um, then that's, that should be one uh, trigger to a conversation, while at the same time also recognizing that sometimes there isn't a change, but we just have to have that open line of communication, and that can be very simple. So in, in Australia, they started a movement, movement called the Are You OK? movement, and, uh, and it's really spread because it's such a simple question to remember. So to ask, are you OK? Are you doing OK? And the trick is to ask not one time, but three, four times if you're really not sure. Um, are, you re are you sure you're doing OK? I'm worried about you. And also to be direct. So if a conversation does open up and you can tell that someone is struggling or distressed or down, to, to include as part of that conversation the direct question, are you thinking about suicide? Um, I think that sometimes we're afraid to do that. We think that if we ask, we might, we might make it worse. We might encourage those thoughts. But that's absolutely, the evidence shows that's not the case that we really should ask specifically. And then if people are forthcoming about their feelings to acknowledge how they're feeling, to validate them, which is not the same as saying that suicide is okay, but to say, you know, I hear you're experiencing a lot of pain or I hear you're struggling. And to use something called active listening, which is really very simple on one level, but hard to do which is to just listen in a non-judgmental way that shows that you're interested in listening. So leaning in, making eye contact, doing that mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, th to show that we're really listening. And at the same time, not feeling the need to problem solve 
uh, like, oh, you should do this or try this and also not minimizing. You'll feel better tomorrow or it'll pass. Um, I think those are those are really the main tips. Um, you can also then, if, if this does come up in conversation, ask someone if you can recommend resources to them like Encompass in this case or like the national uh, number, the suicide prevention number. And then the last thing I would say is follow up. Um, you know, sometimes even if people feel close enough to you that they'll open up in a moment, they might feel embarrassed afterwards or feel like they can't address it again. So to say, hey, remember that conversation we had? Are you doing okay now uh, to follow up with people? So those are, that's it's kind of a simple approach that I, I would use. Thanks, that's actually really helpful. You know, I, I think in the field of therapy, active listening uh, and non-judgment, um, sounds a lot easier than it actually is to do you know to take a breath and to to clear your mind and to really be present for someone so that mm -hmm. when you are going to ask them are you okay repeatedly that you're also prepared to sit and listen and you and you take the time to do that from a genuine place and and build that rapport yeah exactly so, I, have you seen a, sh a sh have you seen or heard a shift uh in how people are talking about uh, suicide today, you know, with people talking about it differently, you know, has the narrative shifted from as opposed to, you know, five or 10 years ago? I, I definitely think there is much more openness and, and decreased stigma overall. Um, you know, we can see even some of the big workplace campaigns um, to oh, Bell Let's Talk is the one that comes to mind, but, but many mm. uh, many companies are, are doing that and recognizing the importance of of mental health, including suicide prevention. But I, I also think it's important not to become complacent because yes, maybe more people are talking, but you know, there are some people who are not coming forward. So you know, even if it makes us more comfortable to reach out to each other, I think that's, uh, and to you know, not be judgmental or stigmatizing when people do come forward. But I think it's a, a positive shift. Absolutely. Yeah, we've, I, I suppose, you know, the pandemic has forced us all into that shift. I think as each, you know, most mental health providers that I speak to have felt that way. It's, and so it's brought the discussion at least to the, to the forefront or brought it to the table. Mm -hmm. And um, in some of those small group discussions that, that I've heard, um, and I think even or your comments around being non-judgmental, you know, there has to be a space for, for these for types of questions like, you know, the I think the strongest questions are the why questions. Why would, mm -hmm. why did it happen, and why mm -hmm. didn't we notice something was wrong? Mm -hmm. um, is often what what comes up initially. You know, when people are talking about it innocently or or directly, uh, uh, right after a, a death. And so, mm -hmm. how do you respond to those types of questions about why people die by suicide or the predictability of suicide? Mm. Well, I think it, it won't surprise you that I have many responses to that, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I think the way that you frame the question, I think, is really important because if it's us asking ourselves after someone has died um, by suicide, I think what's important to recognize there is that the real, not just grief, but the real burden of responsibility and self-blame that others, that people who survive those attempts 
can carry with them. And those are also people who need um, help and attention and, uh, you know, sometimes help letting go of the burden. You know, I think of myself, even as a psychiatrist, we have this whole list of risk factors that we know are associated with, with suicide. So male gender, age, depressed mood, substance use. Um, I could list off 10 different risk factors. At the same time, we are very poor at predicting who will die by suicide. There's not, just because someone does or doesn't have that list of, of risks, does not mean that, they're, that they may not die by suicide or that they will. So I think we have to let, and that's a trained health professional. So for families and coworkers who are left with that pain of losing someone, I think it's very important to reassure them that very, very often we don't know. Uh, we can't predict it. Um, and by the same token, I think it, it also shows us that we should anticipate. This is why like more widespread efforts at prevention are important because we know that uh, thinking about suicide is extremely common. You know, most of us within our lifetime will think uh, about suicide or have those kinds of thoughts. Um, and because we don't know with certainty who will go on and end their life, I think that's why we have to be open and have to talk about it um, and anticipate that under stress, any of us could face uh, those thoughts. I think that's really, you know, that last uh, sentence you just said around that any of us could could face those thoughts, I think has been one of my most important learnings for decreasing the stigma around it and mm -hmm. um, being in uh, distressful, you know, situations where there's lots of distress um, and uh, pressure to perform and um, navigate, you know, just life in general sometimes, uh, that those thoughts, feelings, and emotions come up. And and uh, to know that there's a, the fact that anyone could have it brings some normalcy to it as well, I think, and, and, and should be, you know, a key warning sign, but also one that many of us you know, should probably need to be attuned to just personally and within ourselves of, you know, gauging where are we at with our own mental health and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and wellness, you know, from whether it's exhaustion or burnout or, you know, underneath another, you know, significant uh, situation that's causing distress. So we all, uh, you know, I think you alluded, you alluded to it, you know, prevention is key and not becoming complacent and, um, you know, immediate responses through crisis lines, you said at the beginning of the podcast, uh, are a key role. But what are some of the other prevention strategies, or, or, you know, like the, like the model you talked about in, in Australia? You know, could you give us some other ideas or strategies that are happening in the world or in Canada and Ontario today that are being used that sort of go beyond that? I think it's helpful for us all to learn and, and you know, see what else we can do. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, even though that's where a lot of my efforts are, I think it's part of, you know, crisis intervention is only one part in a chain uh, or a continuum of interventions that uh, we need all the way from prevention. So for everyone in society to specialized prevention in groups that we know are more at high risk. Um, a great example actually comes from Australia as well, but there are there is a group in Canada now um, that does that kind of prevention in higher risk groups is the Men's Sheds Project 
where you know we know that men, um, particularly uh, in middle age and older uh, men who are at risk um, of uh, suicide, they and who may not reach out. You know, they may not be uh, likely to sit down face to face with someone in a counseling room, but they might go out to a, a, a shed with other men. That's a very Australian term, I think. Uh, they might go out mm-hmm. to a shed with other men and sit shoulder to shoulder to have those kinds of conversations. So that would be an example. And it's been shown to, to work very well around depression and um, decreasing suicidality. And that's prevention because it's doing something before something becomes a problem in a higher risk group um, that works well. And then there's there's um, thinking about interventions that work. And uh, th- there are many that work for people who have experienced suicidality or a suicide attempt. Even a simple follow-up, they've shown that sending a postcard, for example, um, by like health providers sending a postcard in the months and year after um, a suicide attempt decreases repeat suicide attempt because we know that's a very high risk group. So there are, are lots of models that have um, been shown to work. And, and I think we need to connect things like crisis support to those longer term, um, very connected community-based forms of care. Same, it, it sounds like it's you know localized action taking place in communities or that are really specific to groups uh, such as men um, or middle-aged men and the type of interventions that work, you know, in group or getting around and sitting shoulder to shoulder and talking about things and then, you know, looping them back into not letting anything exist sort of in isolation and, and trying to integrate or loop it into other existing services that are, whether it's a, you know, crisis response or, family program or couples or things like that and to to keep the momentum going yeah absolutely um and i think you know within the um public safety uh sector uh interventions by peers so people who know what you're going through people who are familiar with your line of work um and of course for individuals that can be a positive or a negative they may not want to speak to someone in there line of work, but many people do. So I think that's another promising kind of interventions that are happening in, um, so among veterans, for example, among police um, forces for firefighters, etc. I think that's one of the most promising areas of intervention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly we have all been inspired by the, even by the local initiatives here happening in the peer-to-peer uh, mm-hmm. support realms and, um, you know, boots on the ground has been extremely helpful across, you know, across the whole, the province and beyond, um, yes. around that. So, you know, we're getting, I think, at some of the key things in, in having this, um, discussion, Allison, and, uh, I really appreciating your, your responses. You know, the, the probably, you know, the Encompass program has several, uh, key elements you know it's 24 hours a day seven days a week 365 days a year there's immediate crisis supports immediate counseling there's funding for inpatient or outpatient groups but probably with even with all the supports in place i think the greatest impact has been made by the shift in the narrative about speaking out you know and and the courage it takes to to speak out uh around this and i think you've really uh 
touched on that as saying that's a key piece is to get that and to not be complacent and to speak out and um you know i guess maybe in to to uh you know wrap things up is there anything else we should know about what to do in the moment or what helpful treatments might be for people who are experiencing suicide ideation in the moment and you know both at home and at work yeah i think one thing hope we know that hope is so important um, and so having hope that there are treatments and interventions that work. So anything that treats um, something that's known to be a risk, like decreases depression or helps with substance use, just as two examples, there's a lot of evidence for that. So there is hope. People don't have to suffer uh, on their own. Again, tailoring those uh, interventions to specific groups and communities is also important, but there are things that work. And the other thing that I think um, families, the general public, would, would hopefully find interesting, you know, we talk about this long list of risks, but there is an approach to suicide prevention that recognizes the person, there's a pathway for people from thinking about suicide to acting on it. And there are two things that are really important that go way beyond, you know, do they have the means and all of those standard things we ask people. One is pain. So people who actually do go down that pathway are in a lot of pain and don't tend to have a lot of hope. And the second thing is that they feel disconnected. Um, to they, they, You know, and as part of that pain, they can feel like they're a burden. So that's why connection is so important the more we can do, it sounds so simple what we were talking about before, the active listening, the making space, it, but actually it, it defeats one of the most important triggers um, for, for suicide behavior, but by helping people to feel more connected and, um, and doing what we can to shore up people's hope. So I think that's what I would hope uh, people take away, that, that their connectedness can truly make a difference, um, whatever role they, they have in uh, someone's lives. And when I um, think about those words of hope, connection, defeating you know, pain and isolation and, and you know, feeling hopeless or loss of value, um, I often you know, I think the greatest strength here, and I was talking about this earlier today with a police officer that, um, you know, unrelated, it was, you know, the camaraderie and um, uh, the support that people have. Uh, you know, when I went to the AGM and everybody calls each other brother and sister mm -hmm. and uh, we got your back. And um, at the end of the day, you know, the, the pressures of the job and... Um, that that's always so strong there, you know, that there is a mm -hmm. a, a connected group themselves that have e each other, and obviously when everybody's exposed to stressful situations, that can get uh, forgotten. But I think it's also the real strength is that connection and uh, the solidarity, and to allow that to uh, to be you know a driving force where we can actually you know talk about feelings you know mm -hmm. and uh mm -hmm. and uh especially as a middle-aged man you know i know even as a trained <laughs> therapist that you know i get called out on it regularly that i'm not i'm not doing that enough mm -hmm. so 
uh, I think there's a real opportunity here with police officers. And so I, and I really, you know, I think it's just going to grow from here and I really appreciate it. Uh, I, if you have anything else that you want to wrap up with Allison, um, then I'll, I'll leave you some space to do that. But, um, uh, you know, I think I, I went through, uh, this has been, you know, everything I hoped for, which is to have a safe conversation and introduce the topic. And so it can become a part of our narrative and it becomes a narrative of Encompass and becomes a narrative of the Healthy Workplace team. I know to have a safe environment where, you know, people can thrive and, um, and heal. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it feels uh, great to be part of that conversation. One thing that you did say sparked something for me um, about being um, amongst uh, officers and having them call each other brother and sister, I think that's why, one, well, one reason it hurts so much when someone is lost to suicide mm -hmm. because it feels like such a profound rupture. And so I think we need to think both about suicide prevention but also providing support to those who, who have lost somebody to suicide. Um, and, and also, you know, on, on a basic level, because we know that's a risk also to, to, to be exposed to that, to lose someone in that way is a risk, but also because that's a, a real source of pain um, and grief. So, Yeah, and, and it's okay to ask someone if they're okay, and I know there's other slogans out yeah. there, it's okay to not be okay, and uh, to it's okay to feel be in pain and have be really distraught by incidents and to... To, to bring that out. So once again, I can't uh, thank you enough for, uh, uh, for uh, joining us today, uh, Allison. And uh, I guess, you know, when we met on the, uh, on the other initiative there, like any good social worker, you know, a few light bulbs of mine went off when I met a strong resource. I want to bring that and share that around. So I appreciate your willingness <laughs> to do that. And, yeah, uh, sure. you know, uh, so hopefully, you know, maybe we could even have you back. Uh, this is a conversation and that I want to continue on. And, um, it's a great medium too. It's, it's Scott and Josh, I hope I, uh, did all right here and uh, didn't take over too much. But, um, you know, thanks a lot for being here and listening as well, guys. Uh, we're really uh, we're really happy that uh, you were able to co-host, uh, Carl. Um, it's, uh, as a, you know, a police officer of 30 years, uh, listening to your, your dialogue back and forth, uh, it's impactful. And um, there's a few times that I wanted to, to interject but uh, I, I just left it because I really think it's important for police officers and our civilian members out there um, to listen to the the experts and the clinicians and uh, I'm definitely myself going to give this podcast a re-listen and I'm sure there's going to be other uh, um, members out there that will re-listen to it and listen more carefully and uh, Thank you very much for sharing your perspectives, uh, Allison and, and Carl. Likewise, thanks. Thanks for having me. Likewise, thanks a lot, guys. And uh, give me a call anytime. And that is yes. our episode for this week. All episodes always available online at our blog at oppa.ca slash media. And if you like what you hear, please use that subscribe button on your podcast platform so you never miss an episode. For Scott Mills, I'm Josh Jutris, and for everyone here at the OPP Association, thank you for listening, and be safe. <laughs>